Special note for anyone who's particularly paying attention to the audio quality on this one. It's summer, so the fan's on. (laughs) And it's raining. Because it's summer. (laughs) And you may think, Talon, you could have put more work into getting around that. Or you could have turned the fan off. And uh, no, because it's summer. Yeah, it's summer. to the Disney Animated Cannonball, the podcast where we, God help our souls, go through the Disney Animated Canon in order. I'm Fox Lee, she, her, a Disney fan of sizable girth. And I'm Talon Lee, he, him, a former cult member, media studies scholar, and for some reason, inexplicable mythology carer. <laughs> And as you return to the podcast for this episode, we are at the glorious heights of the Disney Renaissance when the Disney animated musical has battled its way to the top of the mountain and looked down from a glorious peak. Last episode. Yeah. What did we watch this episode, Talon? We watched 1997's Hercules by Musker and Clements, who know what they did and will answer for their crimes one day. Oh boy, they've done some great work for Disney in the past. This is probably another really excellent film. Disney being at the height of its popular and commercial power, after all. Look, I started this project because I knew I didn't know the Disney animated canon. I know I didn't really have a handle on what this was like. I just figured there was this background radiation of how Disney just existed and they pumped out an animated movie every year or so and it was just part of life and they were always great and everyone loved them and always bought them for their kids even if I would only <laughs> tuned in for the ones that happened when I was personally a child. And now I learned that for a start that's just not true and also the period of my childhood was when we called the Disney Renaissance which is apparently when they were at their best and made amongst other things two of the most successful movies ever made. What I didn't know as well is that Disney Renaissance they're talking about is three and a half good movies. <laughs> yeah, it depends how you feel about the, the bookends, I guess. But uh, I I always felt that this was the end of the Renaissance in my mind. And the ones that came afterwards were, you know, more successes to that idea than actually part of that era. This movie is... Okay, look. I am trying, as a general purpose thing this year, 2022, to not use the simple descriptors good and bad (laughs) when I talk about media, because it's it's a a laziness. It is kind of a wallpaper word. And, like, don't get me wrong, there is a deliberate satisfaction in it. I really love being able to say, oh, that anime you like is garbage. But that's effectively a kind of cruelty that I'm giving myself an excuse to do. So understand that I, sh- I speak here from a personal place that I fucking hate this movie. Ooh, stronger even than I expected. Shall we rewind to talk briefly about our personal experience with this one? Let's do that. <laughs> do you want to go first? I, I, we know where you stand now. But... but before we can do that, we have to recap the plot. Oh, do we recap first? That's my bad. Sorry, I, I let things get away with me. You're trying to speedrun this podcast, <laughs> get us through out the other side to we something good. We go faster, good. we can be done. <laughs> I, well, actually, yes, the next film is, is definitely a step back up from this. <laughs> I expect so. It'd be very hard not to be. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, don't look too hard at what's coming after we crest the year 2000. That sounds like a problem for next season. But uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, plot summary, and uh, it's my turn, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Cool, 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 cool. All right, then. The timer starts now. All right. A young man is born of the gods, and everybody loves him, except the cranky god, who doesn't get to have fun with everyone else, apparently, though he was invited, so I don't really see what's up his ass. Uh, He conspires to turn the new god into a mortal, which 
is uh, uh, interrupted by his minions being incompetent, so it only does most of the way, and we end up with a superpowered demigod on Earth. Once our superpowered demigod comes of age, he is uh, struggling to find his place because he's a ding dong. Uh, and is given the advice by his father that he must learn to become a hero. So he seeks out a sexual assault goat uh, and a very dumb jock friend. And they go off and be heroes and do adventures and treat women very poorly in general. Uh, until our cranky god finally enacts his plan to take over the heavens. Uh, and is... Almost not, but in the end thwarted by our hero who earns his godhood by proving that he's willing to sacrifice himself for somebody else instead of just beat up monsters all day. I realize this sounds very boring, but you've missed the best bit so far, which is you go and tell a Greek studies major that this is the story of Hercules and they spit on you. <laughs> I love how you're, you're sick, like you went over, obviously. Yeah, but, I don't respect this movie enough to try. But what I love about this especially is that all the stuff you recount, all the interesting stuff you recount, is in that opening section. Which is to say, as a movie, this is like going to a fancy restaurant and just gorging on breadsticks. <laughs> a lot of this movie <laughs> is montage, I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, really, really heavy use of montage. And... There is a there is a problem uh, a friend refers to as the BEC uh, conundrum of the or the bitch eating crackers, <laughs> where when someone you hate does something, it becomes very hard to extract it from you know the fact that you hate this person, and so you look at them and go, look at that bitch eating crackers like she owns the place, and like I think the fact that I disliked so much of the big things this movie was doing makes it much easier to look at every little thing and be mad at it. See, I have almost the opposite experience, which is if I liked enough of the little stuff about this movie, I could totally look past how fucking stupid it is. Yeah. Um, if, if I loved the way this looked, the way that I loved previous Disney movies, if it had had a delightful sincerity that I could go along with despite its flaws, if the songs were all fucking bangers, if I loved the voice casting tremendously, but it's it's just doing nothing for me. To make a comparison that may sound like I'm attacking you, but I'm, I promise I'm not, it is much like Pocahontas. That's what I was going to go to, yeah. Where the fact that the character has a relatable tension to her, the fact that it is visually gorgeous, the fact that it is about a non-standard unit of story, and, and all of those things together, and the songs and everything. The, the... I am in love with too many parts of that movie to stop loving it, even despite the huge problematic elephant in it. It has found a way to be personal to you, and that means that you can grapple with its problems differently. Whereas in this movie... Woo Lord. Yeah, um Well, let's let's uh let's right. preemptively say, hey, this is the double take. Hey Fox, anything changed since the last time you watched this movie? <laughs> and at the same time we will talk about our pre existing relationship with this movie. Yeah. Uh which uh is is <sighs> God, I I wanted to love this. I mean I just come off hunchback. I was a total Disney mark at this point. I loved everything they put out for like five years straight. Uh I I went to this. I was hyped. My best friend was totally into this. For some reason, she loved Raton and Danny DeVito. I do not know why. Uh, and, and then this happened. And I sort of kept trying to love it for a little while. I sort of made a kind of an effort to get some of the stuff. But I didn't go out of my way for an action figure on this one. This is a rough movie. I got Happy Meal toys, I think. That's probably as far as I bothered to go. This came out in the first year of what I would... The last year I was in the cult. Right. Which was kind of a period of reformation for us. We lost one of the leaders, and uh, there was this period where we didn't have a pastor anymore, and the whole question was like, what are we going to do with ourselves? Uh, so there were certain things that were relaxed. There were certain things people were much less likely to... Uh, police one another over and there was a feeling that things could be changing um and yet 
I still have memories of hiding the VHS rental <laughs> of this. Just extra ironic because this is a very Americanized Christianity kind of movie, actually. Yeah, well, we'll get there on that front. <laughs> Watching it again as an adult, there's whole chunks of this movie I'd forgotten. Like, I'm confident that they weren't hidden from me the way that they were with other movies. Like, we talked about how right, some sections yeah. were cut out of movies. Um, but uh, I, I forgot that Danny DeVito had a song. <laughs> <laughs> I like to erase that one from my mind. Just completely didn't remember it. Um, I knew the beats of the plot, but there are chunks of this movie that are white noise. And going back and watching them, it was surprising because it means there's a lot more fresh content here. But it also means that there's a lot more stuff here that I have to endure. It also, it, it, it was paced much worse than I thought. It, it's really badly paced, isn't it? Ugh. The sequence where Megara is revealed to be working for Hades to Phil. Phil tries to tell Hercules and fails to because he can't communicate with it. And Hercules is sucked in but would have been saved had he listened to Phil is three sequential sequences. It's literally A, then B, then C. There's no padding and there's no anything else going on. So it makes everything have this hideous immediacy. It's very just beat for beat at that point. Like, yeah. they, they had some time to fuck around a little bit earlier on, but at that point in the plot, they're just like, shit, we gotta hammer this shit out immediately. Like, God, the finale, man. Like, yeah. this is what only Hercules could do in the Doomsday Battle? This is what you needed him for? Mm-hmm. He's the only person who could have done this? And the answer is yes, he's the only one who could have done this, because Ugh. we said he's the only one who could have yeah. done this. And we'll get into that later on. That's fucking yeah double take broadly speaking this movie's much worse made as a movie than i ever thought it was i didn't like this movie and i thought the rewatch it was even worse than i thought you know what uh that's that's kind of my double take as well i was thinking there's nothing in here that surprised me but actually i noticed cheapness in places that i hadn't really noticed it before it it got worse on the rewatch i was hoping it might get better like i, I might be able to sort of just chill and enjoy, you know, James Wood's ad-libbing and shit, uh, and, and just let the rest of it go, but I liked it less than I ever have. The basic continuity errors in a couple of places, <sighs> like Phil and Hercules were talking in a forest and now they are immediately outside Phil's house with almost no time passing. I hate harping on this kind of thing. I feel like a fucking YouTube complainer video douchebag, but... Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that, and it gets increasingly difficult to ignore. Okay, so, yes, there is a strong reason to dislike the particular model of critique that is, I have noticed a small error from the continuity staff or the editing staff, alright? But, in this case, editing is telling the story. This isn't just, oh, they messed up with the music there and it would be more effective if they'd started a beat later. Or that song is a bit on the nose. This is literally, we lose track of where objects are in space and time because the editing of scenes that were clearly made was done poorly. And that's a much bigger thing than just, ding, cinema sin. <laughs> I... Interesting that you gave music-related examples because I wouldn't really pick any flaw with the music. In this, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That a couple of those songs were unnecessary, and the whole choice to to frame this with a gospel choir is some of the weirdest shit I've ever seen. I think we'll get to that too. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not the last I'll say about that. But a perfect example would be uh, at the end when Hercules. Uh, climbs up the cliff and grabs it with the one hand. Yes. And when he comes over, he's clearly not using, like, either hand. And it's just a weird moment, but, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. It's not a big deal. It's not like the, the sudden scene transition where you're like, hang on, the, there was no time elapsed between those two lines. This line is clearly in response to that one. Why are we now here? It doesn't even have that energy of, like, it's fun to ask people a question and then take them all the way to your house before you give them the answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reason I use the music as an example of bad editing is because I don't think this movie fucks up in that way. I think that, broadly speaking, the music does its job where it's doing it. And, again, we'll get further into that. Next up, though, product of its time slash Yikestore. Um, let's see. Broadly speaking, we're fine. Uh... This is an astonishing step forward for Disney in that they managed to have five black woman characters. 
which is fucking unheard of for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe these are the first named black women in in a Disney movie. I think it would be generous to call them names. It is, yes. Well, that's what I was going to get on. And we're being very kind when we give them that accolade. Because really, we only know their names because we know their names. But bearing in mind, the previous option we had was Rita, who was a dog. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. First black woman who wasn't a dog or an owl, I guess. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. No. Um, Phil is a sex criminal. That was going to be my next one. Uh, there is a lot of horny in this movie that mm-hmm. is just played off for laughs and, like, most of it by hero characters. Yeah. Uh, and that's not cool. Phil multiple times has sex jokes and twice we see him pursue women to grab them while they are explicitly trying to escape him. And even attack him to get him to go away. Phil is not a delightful and endearing, lovable sex pest. Phil sucks. Phil sucks. Uh, And, you know, you may be saying, well, he's a satyr. That's exactly what he's supposed to do. And uh, to that, we might say, well, why is this the only part of fucking mythological accuracy that you give a fuck about? The sex pest part. And uh, B, maybe you shouldn't have put a fucking satyr in your movie for children. I don't know, just a fucking thought. Of all the things you choose to bend in your mythology, why is this the one you didn't? Right, and Phil is not a satyr originally, he's just some guy. Well, he's a he's a Minoan prince. Like, he's not nothing. Okay, okay, he's not a monster person. No. He's just a human. Yes. As far as part of its time goes, I kind of, I kind of want to point out that this is a really incredibly hacky 90s sports movie like this is the template it comes this close to saying ain't no rule says a demigod can't be the hero of thebes <laughs> ain't no rule says a pegasus can't play discus yeah it, it is doing all the beats of a um a zero to hero small town did you sports. miss that did you miss that talent because they're gonna do a whole fucking song number about it in case you missed it and best of all they bail out of that movie <laughs> they get two-thirds of the way through that movie and then they're just like nah we're doing something else now <laughs> well it turns out you can't do that movie if your underdog team is a demigod <laughs> like that guy's already the snooty rich kid with a custom uniform I kind of, I I like to imagine the rival version where there is a snobby, you know, already made hero who's been to official hero school and already has all the brand deals and stuff. That's kind of the Trojan Wars, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It is incredibly 90s in that regard. And also, by fucking Christ, the uh, pop song uh, cover of its movie music <laughs> is one of the most 90s things I have ever tried to choke down and then vomited up a little because there was just too much syrup. Like, <laughs> holy fuck, that is Michael Bolton at his absolute stinky cheesiest. My God. He's very good at what he does. He sounds like a parody of himself. Yeah. And, like, evidently that is what he would become, because, like, the last time we've heard him is with the Lonely Island guys, right? And John Oliver. Like, doing exactly this kind of song, but for funsies now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so this is, if you wanted to see what it was like before it was a joke, when everyone just took this sincerely, truly, uh, then 1997 is your year, because, oh, by Christ, we loved a clergy soft rock ballad. Oh, the tie-in oh. shoes and Seven Eleven drinks. No, oh, hate that. Anyway, so yeah, uh, this is a product of its time in a way that lets you have an insight into what the heavily, overly commercialized uh, athlete as asset commercialization was like in 1997, and that's a bad thing, and it sucks, and. I want to slam the yikes door and leave this alone for now. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to talk more about this in the main theme, so we'll just, we'll close this, and instead we'll open this. <laughs> Fox doesn't close a yikes door unless she opens a yikes window. <laughs> All right, let's climb through the yikes window. I have listed under the making section of my notes where I normally collect things like specific details of this. Who cares? And they must be stopped. <laughs> 
right, I do actually have a lot of thoughts about the the overall style and production of this. Um, I I kind of slagged off its appearance later, but that's not fair. It it's like a good, interesting looking movie, um, particularly when it's not moving all that much. Like, there's a lot of cheapness here that you start to notice in uh, in comparing the the difficulty of shots and and the quality of movement animation and especially fight choreography like god damn for a movie that's got a lot of monster fighting in it the fight choreography is just boring as fuck and and that is sorely disappointing when you consider the amount of technological effort put into the hydra yeah the hydra didn't age real good it's it's not terrible it's just like very actively noticeably cg um it it is on a level, bef- I, I would position it before the Cave of Wonders, if you asked me which one came first. Yeah. Now, this is one of the things about the Cave of Wonders. They knew what they could get away with. They knew what they could do. They used it to the best of their ability. This is a little overambitious. And there are shots in it that I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see how that's really clever and cool. And <laughs> but you can't make it that focal for that long without cracks showing. And like, okay... The Cave of Wonders, you do it that way so you can, like, keep the sand texture to it. So you don't have to hand animate it and make it stick out from the desert around it. There's a reason you choose to CG the Cave of Wonders other than trying to save money. It doesn't have to breathe. The Hydra's just that way to save money. Yeah. Like, it's coloured like cell animation. It It's supposed to look like it belongs there. Uh, with the, the moving characters rather than with the background. And that the only reason you do that is to save money on it. And it doesn't look real good. Uh, but stylistically interesting. I like that they didn't try to make it look realistic. Yeah. That part I will give them points for. That part I like. I praise things like Sleeping Beauty for, for doing more interesting, like, storybook-looking backgrounds. Mm. And in this, they worked in, like you know, Greek art motifs and stuff into trees and things. There's fucking water in this that that curls in ways that mimic Greek art rather than ways that work like water. Because they could. And I love that. That's cool. Um, and, like Sleeping Beauty, someone wields a fish. <laughs> um, and I like the god designs as a general rule. Generally, uh, yeah. I think I shouted them out way the fuck back in uh, Fantasia. Because mm-hmm. the the gods from that are a little bit reminiscent of them. Yeah, and Fantasia was obviously some of the source material for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pegasus also was pretty much straight out of there. Yeah, but also it was like a much more complex, much better version. The one from Fantasia is like the 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 classic ideal. Yeah, well, this one has a personality. Yeah, it's kind of a douche, but oh, yeah, that's uh, going to be a running theme for this movie. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, I like. The look of our Olympians. It's it's pretty neat. It's too bad we only get personalities for three of them. Also, you know that thing I do when we do through the talent to the making and all the production where I point out, hey, here's something interesting that this is related to that you wouldn't normally think of. Like the voice talent in this are <laughs> extremely well known or extremely not. And like, oh, look, it's Danny DeVito. He's an always sunny in Philadelphia and a million other things. And oh, look, it's James Wood. He's an anti-vaxxer and a super weirdo. He Is sucks. he now? Oh, fuck him. Um, but in one of these, the only entry I thought was worth mentioning is uh, Susan Egan, the voice of Megara. Uh, two things on her front. One, she recorded a different love song for Megara oh. and then threw hands about it because she said this isn't appropriate to the character. And she sent it back and they rewrote the song into Won't Say I'm In Love, Ooh. which was done with her guidance. I'm excited about this now, because that is the the only true banger in this movie. Yes! Um, the, the rest of the soundtrack is utterly forgettable. Yes, it is the best moment of the movie. Yeah, like, by far. It, it, if anything would ever redeem this movie, like if someone said you can write Hercules out of existence and a better movie will be put in its place, I would hesitate only because Won't Say I'm In Love is so excellent a song, and because this movie is around it so forgettable and meaningless, it can be unmoored and used <laughs> in millions of AMVs and other people's roleplay documents <laughs> and people's specific character pitch boards. And for that, it is a perfect jewel. I mean, Meg is definitely the standout of this movie. Like, she is the thing that doesn't belong here. She's too good for it. She's too interesting. And 
Suze Negan is also the voice of Rose Quartz from Steven Universe. Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah. A really different vocal style on uh, on this one. Yeah. She has some range. Yeah, just excellent work on that front. Everyone else, for their part in this movie, should be ashamed. <laughs> Frank Welker, yes, very good Pegasus sounds. No one can correct you on Pegasus sounds. Yeah. But still, you should have looked up from the script and gone, isn't this dog shit? It's always good to see an appearance by Frank Pegasus Welker. And uh, Jim Cummings is here as well. I detected a truly record number of Jim's com- Jim Cummings voices in this one. Jim's is coming. Jim's is coming. J- Jim's coming. Let's not do this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, which is a sure sign again that we're saving a bit of money. Like, bless him. I find no flaw with his work. He- the man is a gem. Uh, at least in terms of voice talent. I have no idea what kind of a person he is. But uh, it, 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 you know, it, it just suggests that somebody was doing a lot of uh, additional roles. We don't have the full trilogy in this one, we don't have Charlie Adler, Frank Welker, and Jim Cummings. <laughs> Haven't had that since Aladdin. No, I think we don't get... Uh, I don't know if we get a Charlie Adler again. Maybe later down the track. Never say never, you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, from there, we would normally move on to the great thesis. Right, which, I mean, to be honest, it, I'm just kind of cruising straight towards that anyway, because the, the other note about the, the design and production is, like, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> there's okay let's see on 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 the good front it is at least an interesting idea it's, it's kind of a cool idea to reframe the hercules legend as like a tongue-in-cheek sports movie kind of metaphor like it's not a bad concept it it really is execution that is the problem with this movie uh and the first part of that execution i have an issue with is deciding that the overall musical presentation is gonna be gospel choir like what <laughs> that goes with neither of these things <laughs> like, i that's, that's sort of one twist too many ah mm. if i may it makes complete sense and coheres perfectly if you remember that this is not about being a sports movie or about being a Greek movie. This is about being American myth. And America has sports movies and America has merchandising and America has a Christian God and a Christian Satan. And America has gospel choirs. And all of these things make sense as long as the template for Hercules and the entirety of this Greek myth is to look at an American world which is really very like uh, you could not be more correct i mean for starters hades who is who is this guy i mean this is just satan right this is satan as a used car salesman just a satan that you're allowed to put in a g-rated disney movie (laughs) gay satan gay satan yes absolutely yeah he is a hundred percent an archetype of like four or five contemptible things in america in 1997 um he he sucks and, and Zeus is out. Big old himbo Riptorn god. Yeah. Bear in <laughs> mind Riptorn one year later is in Men in Black. So like I I mean Riptorn is another performance in this that's pretty great. Like yeah. I mean I question everything about their depiction of Zeus, but if you're going to do that version, great choice. I, oh, yeah. He sounds like he's having a great fucking time. Every problem in this is upstream from the performances. Let me make that clear. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. fact that Hercules is a moral cesspit of the worst kind of American <laughs> ideology doesn't mean that the voice actor performing him did a bad job of performing the voice they wanted him to do. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. See Absolutely. also Panic and the other one. Uh, Pain. Yeah, sure. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe you. Uh, they they do an excellent job and they're meant to be there as the funny, look, that's a recognizable adult celebrity voice that your parents who watch Saturday Night Live will like and it will make this Oh, whole really? Are they? I don't care. They're people from the 80s. It's like Adam Sandler era. <laughs> I, I don't care. Again. <laughs> it, okay, okay. I'll take your word for it. And indeed, that's why Danny DeVito is here and the reason James Alexander uh-huh. was in. Yeah, it, It's the same recurrent thing and indeed that american it's the same reason danny devito is here and by the way yeah. he lists the inspirations for the character as jason alexander's gargoyle coupled with bacchus from the original fantasia so just yeah the worst but also the thing they decided to add there was sex criminal which 
not exactly an ideal situation. Well, hang on, Bacchus for Foundation was definitely a sex pest. I remember us bitching him out. Sex pest. Sex criminal, I feel like, ramps it up a bit. Anyway, no, actually, I'm going to take away my response. That's, yeah, I don't know at what right. level you made that definition. No, it's, it's fine, you're <laughs> right. Um, and with that vision of an American world, part of this Americanness is Disney is here. Within the universe, <laughs> everything here is a Disney version of itself. Yeah, I mean, there's, they sort of, um, let's say, soften this whole thing when when we get to our, uh, you know, third arc and it's like, oh, no, you know, it's not enough to be uh, famous and powerful and to beat up all these monsters. You have to find how to be a true hero, which conveniently I can't tell you how to do, even though later on I summarize it with, like, one pithy little quote that I could have just given you from the beginning. Whatever, whatever, he's God. He works in mysterious dickish ways. Yeah, uh, like the Christian God. Like the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I, yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about Americanizing Zeus, it's the perfect place to start, because this is, this is a Zeus who plays by arbitrary rules, like, not his own rules, rules that he observes to exist, and is like, well, you know, it wouldn't be fair and just if we broke the rules for you, my son, just because you're my son, as opposed to actual Greek Zeus, who did whatever the fuck he wanted all the time without giving a fuck. I was taking notes from the opening section of how many times it got stuff wrong and one of the things it mentions is that Zeus opposes chaos. Like, Zeus is the biggest source of chaos. No, Zeus fucked up some titans entirely because uh, uh, he would have liked power more than them. It's He's mad at his dad. Oh, man, this thing is such a fucking mess. And of course, his, his loving wife his devoted wife, mother of Hercules, and general stander next to Zeus to look happy and be loving, uh, Hera. Just, just, what the fuck? She was going to be my point for, like, the iconic centrality of Americanness in this movie, uh-huh. where Hera has to be completely unrecognizable to be the American Hera. And this is, this is the night, and what they turn her into, the 90s archetype of the completely absent, completely soporific, completely positive force that is mom, that will also nonetheless do nothing, and yet is of high value to Hercules at the end. He, he's like happy to be reunited with this cardboard cutout. I mean, to be fair, that's not even a 90s, uh, like 90s is on to like independent, snarky, clever uh, you know, eye-rolling, uh, smarter and more authoritative than all the boys kind of moms at this point. So Hera's an even older archetype in this. But, before I go further, I have used the phrase in this podcast multiple times, Hamlet on hang gliders, where the idea is comparing media to texts or even a different version of itself where the rules of the emotional language are different isn't helpful. And you might think that we're going that with this. And I would like to present three handfuls of counterpoint. Please. One, these characters are older than every language I know. These characters are archetypal in ways that literally define theatre. So it is in the category of how we tell stories to be able to go, this is like a Zeus thing, or... This is the hubris of the main character. Or the phrase, it's a Greek tragedy. These are deeper lines than just, well, why didn't he do things different? Second to that, even if we ignore comparisons to the source material, we can still, and say, you know, hey, the story of Hercules didn't go this way. We don't have to do that to say, all right, but these are referencing other material. How do those references look? Which is what we are doing. Where, hey, they've named this character Zeus. Is he anything like Zeus? Oh, wow. No. <laughs> do, do you recall who <laughs> Megara actually is? No. She's one of the fucking Furies. Oh! They just grabbed a name. Yeah, it, it, it just just grab a name. Grab a name that sounds just good. grab a name. Phil's here, why not? And He's our trainer now. He's coach. Yeah. And Megara shortens well to Meg, so... Yeah. Meg, Herc, and Phil. That allows you to have a lot more. Yeah. So fucking American. I hate it. What's really frustrating (laughs) is that Hercules is a really American name. 
when America was a young country, there were lots of guys named Hercules. Really? Really? Wow. Because it's a good, strong name. It's got weight to it in the same way that... ostentatious, maybe? Yeah. And a whole bunch of a whole bunch of former slaves liked the name Hercules, and I don't mind uh, that one bit. All right, fine. Yeah. <laughs> They're allowed to do what they fucking want. <clears throat> and then on the third, gripping again, even without the reference points to Greek myth, even if you set aside that and just look at these characters within this story as themselves and do the normal media studies things of what does this character seem to represent or what ideas does this character reinforce from the greater landscape it's still an incredibly christian story and all the characters are also really shitty it's yeah it's it's bad on its own uh by its own internal logic and and heart as well um i got sidetracked on the way to this point by complaining about everything else but while they do soften this whole thing by by bringing up the moral of you know you can't be a hero just by having merchandise and shit it's also not wrong to to be a hero who loves fame and has merchandise and shit like that's not presented as a bad thing he's not gonna get punished for it or anything it's just not what makes him a true hero because you know I mean, Disney is not going to come out with a strong stance against the exploitation of of uh, a, a star athlete. How interesting. And also, you know me, as prior points may have heard, talking about superheroes and capes. A superhero is someone who creates a fiction for people to know. Batman is a scary bat person, and that is meant to scare people. The character of Batman is something that the human of Batman made and shared. Now, he shared that story by punching people. But the point is (laughs) that there is a meaningful fame there. (sighs) Superman has the symbol, the cape. He is meant to stand out against the skyline because he is doing good. He is to be seen. There is nothing wrong with making a symbol of yourself as a hero and saying, I am here, I am going to help. No, but using it to take money from children might be not that cool. Yeah, that sucks. I mean, they do make a point of how fucking rich he is and he has the giant villa and everything and like, that's not super heroic actually. Hmm, maybe not. Yeah, it... And that's where you get that sports movie that they just abruptly stopped to do a different movie. (laughs) Also, the whole framing of wanting it in the first like everything phil and hercules want is kind of shitty and horrible like hercules doesn't like he frames it as i just want to be accepted i just want to find where i belong no you don't (laughs) his idea of belonging is to is is like fame and adulation and and you know people cheering just because he's there like that's a that's a steep baseline for acceptance, mate. Most of us are happy if we don't get mocked on the street. And to be fair, there is a clear lineage there for, like, the. you can see the structure of the story of him like, okay, I am trying to become a god so I can go to heaven where I don't have to worry about knocking over pots anymore. I will do things in an attempt to become worthy of godhood. You know what? They framed it like that. Well, they... Here's the thing, they did, but they did a terrible job of doing it, so it doesn't look like they did it. I mean, that's something you could take away from it, but that's not how they frame it. No. They just frame it as him wanting emotional fulfillment in the form of acceptance. They don't, at any point, go like, hey, it'll be great if you can come back up to heaven, because you won't be a danger to anyone else anymore. Yeah, and and the I Want song never mentions the travesty of breaking pots sometimes. No, no, he just wants uh, acceptance and, and emotional belonging. Also, that song is a giant testament to I don't want (laughs) self-control. He has this problem. He breaks stuff. The problem is directly tied to his ability to do things other people can't. And his emotional turmoil that he is singing out here is about, I will find my way, I will go the distance, which implies that this is a task of endurance And it is a task of discovery, neither of which it is. He goes straight to a famous location, asks a question, gets an answer. There is none of that there. So in reality, what he has had happen is, I'm having self-control problems. I am immediately going to turn to God to fix it. And God is going to tell me how to do it. 
Yeah. And it doesn't even become... Like, he has solved his problem before he ever fights a monster. He has solved his problem by not accidentally breaking pots anymore. By just the task of turning 20, I guess. It, well, uh, 18, uh, which they lay out at the beginning of the movie. Oh, which yeah. Is quite interesting, because there's no way Meg is 18 or younger. Yeah. Uh, which, again, she's too good for this movie. Yep. <laughs> this is our first, like, certifiable Disney cradle robber. Love it. Right, and, I mean, the reason you can summarize it in that way is because he is a danger to other people but he does not care yeah like he actively doesn't give a fuck he only cares how it makes him feel yeah he is an outrageously selfish main character and that would be something if that was his uh his want was acceptance and his need was you need to realize that you hurt people and you could improve yourself by caring about that. But it's not. It's not treated as a flaw. He's treated as a flawless person. Uh, to the point where the story goes out of its way to tell us he has no weaknesses. <laughs> and he's supposed to be, you know, utterly charming and, and down-home kind of bubbling innocent. And gosh darn, don't you love this good innocent country boy? Yeah, the absence of care is also tied to extraordinary power. And this is where we get back to my original point, which is this is the American myth. <laughs> Lay it out for us, Talon. Okay, first things first, the world as it exists and has always existed is fundamentally American. Everything in the world that isn't American is trying to take the shape of America. Ah, yes, the big olive. Yeah, everything that Americans can use as a reference point is in fact the way everything is and other countries just kind of don't realize how America is right about this stuff. What this means is that Hercules is the American Greek tragic hero, and therefore has no tragedy. Because America doesn't have a tragedy. <laughs> America starts out super strong, doesn't give a fuck about fixing that problem, and fuck you for trying to make us change. He is extremely what if Superman just low-key sucked. Yeah. And all of those factors together kind of hold this movie's disparate parts. The gospel singing is this legitimization of Christian religion saying, hey, I know this is about Greek myth and gods, but don't worry, we're not going to do anything too out there. You can still feel connected to this religious godlike stuff because, you know, we got black women to do the work for us. The fact that they can say, hey, you know, mass merchandising, um, this, this, this kind of stuff. It's cool and fun. And, and also universal. We've always had that. You know, it, becoming a hero is impressing a bunch of unimpressed New Yorkers. By the way, of those things they mentioned, like a flood and a fire, what exactly is Hercules doing about those? Nothing. But anyway, the vision- I don't know, man. What was he going to do when he was racing back to save Magara <laughs> uh, while she was dying from having her entire internal organs made paste? There is that. The point of this movie is to take everything and make it American. And that's when you have to look at Hercules and ask yourself, who is this guy? He is the strongest man in the world. He's better than you. He gets everything he wants and attempts to oppose him inherently make you evil. Therefore, fuck you. It is a guy who walks into the office every day at work, stands on his desk, pees on everyone, shouts, I'm so great, I'm so great, everybody loves me, I'm so great, who then sits down and goes, but nobody cares that it's my birthday. I like his Simpsons reference, that's very on theme. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's very telling that, it, okay, first of all, it's wild to come off of Hunchback onto this in the I sense know. of Hercules acting like he's been through a lot. Like, <laughs> dude, the worst thing that ever happened to you is not being a god anymore. Until the end of the movie where you had to deal with genuine loss for the first time in your fucking life, and you just got to cheat. Like, it's wild. I love stories about superheroes and outcast monsters and what uh -huh. it's like to have dehumanizing strength. And fucking buddy, this ain't it. <laughs> so, yeah, like, you should be a mark for the for the story of the heroic monster strength outcast. And, I am, uh, and that's yeah. why I like a lot of them. <laughs> that's why we enjoyed Hunchback. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is, oh, this is some shit. And I, 
am deeply attached to stories about fuck fate, you don't get to tell me that I can't change things. <laughs> but it just rings a little hollow when it's the grand finale of a story of a character who got everything he ever wanted and lost nothing. Plus, the reason fuck fate is because he was never beholden to it in the first place because he's a god. Apparently not. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he does straight get to cheat on his bargain with Hades at the end, and everyone's like, just, oh, whatever, it's fine, it's, it seems fine. A point that was made by someone else, I can't remember who, uh, and I don't want to try and dig up the quote, because it might be someone who sucks now, but a quote I remember is that Hades follows through and plays fair on all of his deals. Hercules breaks his one bargain. Hercules cheats, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, two bar, one out of two. Because <laughs> he, he is... Uh, part of the earlier bargain with Hades. It's just not his to break. Yeah, fair enough. It's then. not convenient for him. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the deal was... Okay, they they almost had this too because they treated it as just, uh, you know, if it had been Hades going, huh, yeah, you know, if you can get her out, then she can leave. And then, you know, when he jumps in, ha ha, but you'll die. I didn't tell you that, motherfucker. All right, that's him being sneaky. That's perfect. But the actual terms were... You get her out, she can go and you stay. So there wasn't, like, the loophole's not a loophole. No. It's, and it would have been so easy to make it work without having him break his word. And they chose not to. This is a very strong Christian element, by the way. You will often find in these Christian works that <laughs> writers will have Satan or the Satan analog make this kind of crooked deal. And then well after the fact, someone has to point out how something you didn't know at the time or something that wasn't a factor would have meant that it was a crooked deal. Or he got that money from drugs or something like that. Just because the, the writers are so breathtakingly incompetent, they can't grapple with let's actually have a, a compelling evil. Let's have a villain who is capable of making a deal that you would actually go for, even though you can tell it's bad. I I mean, they had it right there in front of them. It would have worked. There was no reason they also had to make him agree to the letter of that. Mm -hmm. uh, they failed at having their villain be a cunning cheat. I thought you just meant in the sense that uh, godly people are allowed to break bargains. Oh, yeah. Because they are not held to the same standard as you, and that's just how it is. Guess you shouldn't suck next time. Bonus, this means that Hercules dies and comes back to life because he's part god. Because he's Jesus. He's extremely Jesus. He's just like Chad Jesus. Yep. Yeah, no, there's nothing else we can add to this. This is a... Failure of a story, it only functions because people can't communicate with each other and are stupid and jerks. Yeah. Uh, and the whole thing is a giant exercise in crass commercial American Christianity. It's a bad movie. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, we're not supposed to say objectively. I'm, I'm... This is not an objective judgment. I find this movie to be shallow and awful and uh, possessed of a morality uh, which it does not understand. Uh, and wheels clumsily and uselessly. I hate all but two minutes of this movie. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> but now, that means we are here in the fields of whatever land. Hey, I didn't take a lot of notes for this one, so I'm just going to yell about things as they pop into my brain. The opening narrator is Charlton Heston. Gah! Who sucked. Get out of here. And one of the muses then goes, he's making it sound like a Greek tragedy. It's a Greek tragedy. Just just a reminder in case, like, you wanted to know how long does this movie go before it completely fucks up the story it's trying to tell? Literally the second sentence. This is not like those other movies about Greek history. This is fun and sassy. Greek history. <laughs> Greek mythology, then. I, I'm, I mean, Hercules' the Legendary Journeys had been playing for several years at this point, right? Disappointed! Oh, that's a... Yeah. That's a yeah, well. What is Hades' fucking deal? <laughs> like, he's like, unlike you all, I have a day job. What day job? You don't, yes! see, you don't see you do anything in this movie except, like, stand around <laughs> and, like, watch uh, shit happen to Hercules and plan to overthrow the Olympians. He does feed Cerberus. That's not a job. I know, but, like, it's something we see him do. And, and to be fair, moving around, meeting with people and organizing things is kind of the job of a boss. But... Like, he's also, they've also industrialized hell, so like, fucking whatever. The only, okay, but all the moving around and planning and meeting with people we see him do is strictly to aid his plan to overthrow Olympus. Ah! The one ghost. 
that he deals with before meeting with the fates. Which is to say, he, he watches it. it go, ding, pass yeah, him. He doesn't do it! <laughs> so, uh, he's a whiny bitch. And also, <laughs> he was invited to come and chill at the party like everyone else. He's like a Maleficent if they had invited her and, like, made a special cake for her because she's gluten intolerant. <laughs> and then she was like, you fuckers! I, he makes me very mad. The chorus is fun. Even though they are wildly inappropriate and shouldn't be here, they were fun to animate and they're fun to, they're fun to sing along with. They are some of the best animation in this whole thing because, as discussed before, the fight choreography is shit boring. Yeah. Uh, at least the dance choreography is not too bad. Yeah. And there's something to be said for making the very spirits of human inspiration and creativity not white. Yeah. Like, good. I like that. Good basic choice. Still... Very bad style of music with which to frame the story of Hercules and the movie of Dumb Superman. Sir, your face is exploding. (laughs) His face is exploding. And we're back to he does not care that he hurts people. He is a bad hero. Hercules whines that his superpowers impact the people around him. No, (laughs) he's such a jerk. So to explain the sir, your face is exploding. That's uh, that's a quote from my friend Clay of the From the Rooftops podcast where... Cyclops, the character, will often try and frame the the challenges and difficulty he has to experience as a as a mutant, as as if he's oppressed. And someone points out that his oppression is because his face is exploding, not because he's black. The X Men are a bad metaphor for civil rights because they have superpowers. Basically, yeah. Why why is Hades waiting for the fates? To arrive when they're clearly like they're doing their job. This is where they do their thing in the first place. That's where they are at the end. This is this is where they work. What were you waiting for? That sounds like a continuity error, doesn't it? It doesn't matter. It just gets on my tits because the rest of this movie is too bad for me to ignore the dumb shit. In the final training montage fight with the arrows and the machinery. Mm -hmm. Two things that shit me up the wall. Is one of them the rope swing? No, fine, Okay, whatever. no, after you. Hercules catches all the arrows in an H. They're all launched at the same time. There's no fucking way to do that. Yeah, no. And he bends his sword into a boomerang and throws it. Yes. And for a movie that's already taking another culture and just swallowing it whole <laughs> so it can vomit it back onto its own lap, I take deep offense that the boomerang, something that... <laughs> predates ancient greece is somehow being exported over to here like oh anyone would have thought of that like boomerangs is just a thing anyone does like no no you actually needed a lot of expertise to develop boomerangs they are super complicated the fact that we can make them easily now is because someone did all of the hard work before now ah uh okay i'm gonna complain about the rope swing because, yeah. like, he does this big rope swing, but it just goes on and on, so the position of the rope, like, moves yeah. forward in the shot. And then he just, like, goes side to side on it, and, like, it, it's not, it's not, like, animated, like, he's swinging side to side, he just kind of moves side to... He's I hate flying. everything about that sequence. Yeah, he's just flying, and it's super annoying. It looks awful. Uh, also, at the end of that, there's a comedy note where he once again drops the, the practice damsel, not giving a fuck about it. Handily demonstrating that he has learned nothing <laughs> about caring whether or not his powers hurt other people. <laughs> He's just gotten better at using them to hurt other things. He sucks. <laughs> Phil compares men who died in often tragic ways to sports heroes as if their deaths are sports failures or them giving up. Phil sucks. Yeah, Phil is an asshole. Like, man, if you got... Six different guys killed. Uh, maybe the problem is you. He also specifically mentions that he wants a hero who would be written in the stars, and also that he trained Achilles. It, yes, he, he name drops several heroes who are constellations. He, yeah. Oops. Phil fucking sucks. Oops. Ungrateful little shite. <laughs> yeah, see, Phil is also Phil and Hercules are united by uh, being just careless douchebags who only really actually want fame and just pretend that they want something better. Self-centered to a degree that I would assume evil. You would assume it would be a character flaw. You would assume the movie would address this in both of them. Yeah. And that they have to learn and grow. But they don't. And as people, I would assume, oh, this guy is that much into himself. I can't trust this person. Oh, heck no. 
No, if these are people who need to learn to be better people before you want to spend any time around them. My final note. Hercules at one point says, I thought I had problems. No, you don't. <laughs> you did think that, didn't you? Yep. Uh-huh. You thought that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Man, does anyone else find it so cumbersome to carry all of your money around in a wheelbarrow? <laughs> I'm just so exhausted with all the women chasing me and throwing themselves at me all the time because I advertise myself to them so aggressively in order to get them to give me money mm -hmm. and cheer my name, fulfilling my deep need for acceptance in the form of fame and money. You remember how a long time ago you said get Mark Wade on this project, uh, talking about like reconstructions? <laughs> I'm just saying, Mark Wade has already done a Hercules comic. Oh dear. It's called Irredeemable. <laughs> Hercules wow. has the mindset of the villain of Irredeemable. Christ. Oh no, that's this movie. Ha! <laughs> See what I did there? Hey! <laughs> um, uh, fuck Pegasus for being an echo of that one fucking horse from the Wild Bill whoever it was sketch back in the horrible compilation musical days who just fucking murked uh, the, the woman his rider chose to marry. Uh, I, I hate everything about this, like, bros before hoes thing that they immediately get going on. It's yeah. gross and nasty and immature what, and... What the fuck is it with Disney thinking horses will murder your girlfriend? And once again, nobody is, uh, is, is taken to task for this. This is never treated as a bad thing. It's like, eventually, Pegasus gets along with Meg because they're trying to save Hercules, but at no point does this include, like, oh, I'm sorry, I was instantly a massive asshole to you because completely out of your control, someone I care about noticed you. Mm-hmm. I, I guess being a jealous fuck is just fun. When you punish women for the crimes of your emotional reactions, that's misogyny. Nah, you might be a bad Well, you might be doing a bad thing. Which uh, is, is a real wrongness. Uh, because Pegasus is also very much a dog. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. All animals are dog. Uh, except for the fact that Pegasus has entirely too much human in him. Yeah. He's just a jerk, Chad, bro. I am very, very cross with the, the climactic battle of this movie. It is the most boring action sequence, uh, put to sell since the very, very dirty early days of Disney when they just could not do better. <laughs> Ah, uh, this is this is miserable. Nothing happens. Points of impact are cut away from. Things just you look away one moment and then they're defeated the next moment. Hercules does shit all. Uh except like cut some chains, which I guess no one else could have done, and then like suddenly the Titans can't use the powers that they used the first time to instantly defeat every god? I I dunno. And then Hercules ultimately wins the fight by wrestling the tornado titans so the 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 one elemental that will be really vulnerable to just brute strength the one made out of air it it is the dumbest shit hey fox didn't pecos bill lariat a whirlwind oh could have done i don't know man just remember Ugh. remember how pecos bill's whole thing was that he was saying hey america exists because american white american men made it exist just just pointing out that whole American myth thing, both of them wrestling whirlwinds. I'm sure it's not related. No, definitely not. Uh, also, uh, you done my girls dirty. I realized that there was no room for gods to be cool in this, really. But, uh, you know, the fact that you have both Athena and, and Artemis yeah. in a fight. And, you know, all you did with them was have them ride to a place and get swallowed by a titan. Uh, fuck you. Fuck you all. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. I have a final compliment, actually. Uh, there is... There is one piece of visual storytelling I will praise in this, which is the use of Hercules' color tone to represent three distinct stages of being God, completely mortal, and something in between. Yes. Every time they shift in between one of those, they shift his brightness and saturation along with it, and it's a very effective, shorthand, just very easily understandable, good use of visual devices. For storytelling. Good work on that one. Yeah, I like it. Yep. Uh, better balance that up with a final slam. Uh, this movie's callbacks are hack bullshit. <laughs> like, there are so many. They use go the distance like six fucking times. Okay, that was obviously gonna happen. Um, 
but they also have like one-liners Herc and Phil pass back and forth between each other and they have the people always do stupid things when they're in love that's like one from the perspective of the characters who say it to one another it's immediate it's the next conversation that they have and it's Treated as like some kind of ironic echo of like, oh, that you never expected to hear that from Hercules. Of course you fucking did. He was openly confessing he was in love like halfway through the movie ago. They do a lot of it and it's all bad and not earned and not poignant. And, oh, and it's so clumsy. Remember how I talked about Hunchback and I'm like, I it's cool that they reuse this motif here because this is... Quasimodo's love song so you are given to understand that he's accepted that Esmeralda's not in love with him because it plays the theme of his uh, romantic fulfillment when she's with another person. Okay, that's great. And Hercules is like, if they didn't do that and instead they just had him say something out loud several times to represent how he felt and then had her say it back to him at the end. And then they looked at each other as if there was some cleverness here. It's so clumsy. Yeah. Uh, all right, all right, all right. I think that's the last thing I can find to bitch out about this movie. Well, no, it's not. The point is that, like, give us ten minutes, we'll have more. <laughs> and another thing. We need to stop, because at a certain point, we aren't being interesting in hating this thing. <laughs> no. No. I just had to bring that one up. Uh, to close with because that's like a that's an, an objective discussion that's not just thing made me angry that's thing made me angry for a reason mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff you can find <laughs> on the internet about why why is hercules bad or, or what what's the pro- what's the deal with hercules and all of those conversations are trying to find some objective truth trying to dig down at some messaging or whatnot and i think they all commit a very um i guess i would say embarrassing mistake in that they tend to not look at this movie and go, what does this movie think of as normal and acceptable? (laughs) And what it thinks of as normal and acceptable is everywhere is America, everything is American, and Disney is part of being American. The reason this movie is bad from the top down is because it's Disney shitting out movie content as if we can do this and it will be good because we are Disney. It is, I mean, what I'd like, I'd, I'd like the what happened. Like, I'm curious to know how this happens when the the previous films were what they were. Because, like, this isn't... They made Hunchback, and Hunchback was expensive and artsy and high-minded and too adult for their audience and got lukewarm reviews because it was, you know, kind of a complicated downer by Disney standards. Mm. Um, and that... That may all be true, but none of that impacts Hercules very much, because Hercules came out the year after that. So Hercules was almost completely done by the time Hunchback, by the time anyone had the chance to give an opinion on Hunchback, right? So what what was it that made them think they had to pivot to this weird, tongue-in-cheek, pop culture, cartoon comedy thing when they had just ramped up from Aladdin through to Hunchback? Ah, uh, well, yeah, it's a weird story and I don't have it. Speaking of a ramp, endless growth and acquisition of wealth is (laughs) the natural outcome of... Right, yeah. It's time to set aside the capitalism in the movie and talk about the capitalism surrounding the movie. Good times. Do you think the budget went up or down from Hunchback? And by how much? I... Here's the thing. This movie feels cheap. It does, doesn't it? I don't know if that means it is cheap, but it would be hard to... Like, Hunchback was really expensive. I don't know. I'm going to say it's a bit less expensive, but not a lot less expensive. This was 85 million, 15 more than Hunchback. Wait, I thought we did Hunchback and it was in the 90s. Hunchback was in the 70s. Ah, damn it. Sorry. Can't believe they spent more on this than on Hunchback. So, for the take of this movie. It all went on voice actors, didn't it? <laughs> so for the take of this movie, do yeah. you think it went up or down from Hunchback and by how much? Okay, we talked about Hunchback and if I remember correctly, it was not as much of a box office disappointment as pop culture would have you believe. It was more that like it was just compared to Lion King, but everything is a disappointment <laughs> compared to Lion King. Ooh, we didn't make the best movie again. <sighs> How strongly do I believe in justice in this world? <laughs> um, I 
live in hope. I believe this movie made less than Hunchback, but once again, not a lot less. This movie made 225 million minus 100 million from Hunchback. Hey! This movie made just as lives. Two thirds of what Hunchback made. Ah. Uh. Honest to God, that does me a little bit of good, because this is remarkably worse. In fact, it was considered to be a grotesque underperformance. Yeah, good. They well, had... it was a grotesque disappointment uh, as a movie, so that works. Mm-hmm. They had projected that in the time frame to make $150 million based on marketing and based on, based on advertising, uh, and they only made $100 million in that period. Like, don't get me wrong, this movie still absolutely paid out, but, like, it's very hard to look at <laughs> $225 million for 85 million and go well this wasn't worth the bother it clearly was but it clearly was but they were banking on being the prestige movie choice at this point yeah and they got it for free the last couple of times so uh and yeah so i know that i had it in my head that hunchback was like this this staggering of the disney machine but really i think this is the place where disney (laughs) actually did take a stumble yeah i mean it what it really was is that they ramped to Lion King and after Lion King began a slow descent and then Hercules did actually stumble. I, I would consider them not even descents at that point, just regressions to the mean. You you can't make... Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't make the best and most successful movie of all time three years in a row. Two, I mean, you can do it. You can, because <laughs> they made Beauty and the Beast, then Aladdin, then Lion King. <laughs> when it comes to critical reception, uh, there was a lot of, like concurrent critics but they were all largely praising it because it was you know it was the disney movie there were some interesting names that weren't wild about it siskel and ebert both thought that it looked kind of washed out and uh weren't wild about it but the rotten tomatoes score for this movie is 84 percent oh that's just wrong more proof that i don't care about rotten tomatoes nope (laughs) that's nonsense i seem to remember um i'm trying to place some of the other movies. I believe that, that Pocahontas is down around like a 50 or so. Yeah, they don't like Pocahontas for obvious reasons. Yeah. And, and they're not wrong. I'm not saying they should. Pocahontas is complicated. But on the other hand, Hunchback is, is also... <laughs> yeah. Hunchback uh, is liked less than this movie. Yeah. A lot of things are liked less than this movie. I believe the Robin Hood. Our, yeah. Our, our like 72%. smash hit golden boy <laughs> from the previous season is in the 70s, yeah. So... Hi there, everyone. Uh, This is Editing Talon. Turns out that the audio recorded for the remainder of the podcast has all been attacked by robots, and we sound extremely weird. I don't know how to fix it, and I couldn't really scrub it. So here is a recreation of sorts, on my own, of what happened. See, it turns out that amongst the critical reception, there was an incident where Disney were originally planning to do a open-air screening of this movie. The uh, Nyx Hill, that's spelt P-N-Y-X, if you want to look this up on, on Wikipedia for yourself, where the idea was that they were going to screen this movie for Greek people in Greece, in Greek, in Greece, at one of the oldest amphitheaters that's still standing from the actual ancient Greek empire. After Greek critics got to see the movie in pre-screenings, the Greek government cancelled the event, saying the movie was another case of foreigners distorting our history and culture just to suit their commercial interests. Also, when we talked about this back and forth, Fox did ask the question, were they disgusted by this ghoulish cultural puppetry? Which is a wonderful phrase, and I would hate for you to not have had a chance to hear it. The next episode of the podcast is going to be about Mulan.